In case you missed this, last week, the Marion, Kansas Police Department raided the offices of the local newspaper, the Marion County Record, and confiscated computers and cell phones, allegedly because a local restaurant owner accused the newspaper of invading her privacy and illegally accessing information about her and her driving record. And it turns out, shocker, the newspaper has been investigating Gideon Cody, the Marion police chief who led the raid. And what I love, like love, 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 is I'm sure old Cody thought, we'll show these people. And what's happened has been his worst nightmare. The thing turned into international news, small town sheriff bullying a volunteer newspaper editor and trying to overturn the First Amendment. And no matter how many aspiring authoritarians and tough guys come along, strutting their strut and screaming, fake news, we are protected by the First Amendment as well as our adherence to justice and the truth. So Gideon Cody, go fuck yourself. You are way beyond your depth. My name is Jeff Perlman. I'm the New York Times bestselling author of 10 books and the host of Two Writers Singing Yang, a podcast where one writer, me, talks writing with another writer every single week. Today's guest is Ty Rushing, the senior editor and political reporter for Iowa's Starting Line, and a man who was recently banned from attending a Ron DeSantis campaign event in the Hawkeye State because Ron DeSantis is a little bitch. This is episode number 324. Let's sing some Yang. Dad. Your podcast sucks. And nobody cares about your stupid TV show. All right, Ty. First of all, thank you for doing this. Of all the people I've had on this podcast, and this exceeds 300 episodes by now, you definitely 100% have the most sneakers. Good. I need I need, a, I need that record. How many shoes do you have? I'm going to guess a little over 100 pair because I'm a size 15, so it's oh. actually kind of difficult to get shoes in my size. So the fact that I've been able to accumulate as many as I have is uh, kind of its own little reward. Yeah, that's pretty good. I'm a size 13 and I find it difficult. 15, very, very. There's no size 15 in the Nordstrom Rack section of uh, a shoe. Actually, Nordstrom Rack has 15s. They do? Yeah, yeah. I got a pair of uh, driving shoes from there uh, not too long ago. Nordstrom Rack, vastly underrated shoe spot. Vastly underrated shoe spot. Yeah. So, Ty, I learned about you recently. You write for the Iowa starting line. And there was an incident that happened on August 11th. So we're recording this on Monday, August 14th, where... You're based out of Iowa. You're right for Iowa starting line. You went to cover a Ron DeSantis campaign event and you were banned from entering. The thing definitely went kind of viral. I'm just going to throw it out first. What exactly happened? Uh, Well, I still don't know. All right. So uh, he had three public events scheduled for that day. Uh, I registered and my coworker registered. We registered as audience members for all three of them because I'm like, all right, let's just register because that's and I've registered as an audience member for the previous eight DeSantis events I've covered. And so, yeah, we just show up. We go to the first event in Atlantic, Iowa. You know, things are going well. You know, we're covering it. He's doing video the entire time. I'm taking notes, recording audio, all that sort of stuff, because we like to do we're social first. So we like to get a lot of clips for Twitter and TikTok. And so, you know, we're doing all of that tag teaming it. And then at the end, you know, what you do at an Iowa caucus event is you get the candidate interacting with the audience. And so at once once that uh, he's done speaking, I'm like, yo, OK, time to go get in action, uh, you know, get in there, get into the scrum, get him like get close, like follow him walking around, talking to people, get those interactions and things like that. And so he's doing that. I do. I start doing it as well. And I noticed that he's kind of distant. And I'm like, yo, why is he not getting into the action? And I, I couldn't figure it out. And so as I'm trying to, you know, as I'm doing my thing. Uh, this guy in a red polo who's like a head taller, shorter to me, just keeps stepping in front of my stuff. And he was he's with the campaign. So I'm thinking like, OK, maybe I'm getting in the way and I keep going for it. 
you know, keep trying to get around, move around. And then I noticed he's following me. And then like, I kind of, I was like, huh, that's so weird. And then I look over my, my coworker still kind of distant. When he goes back to the bus, we catch up. And he's like, yeah, uh, security told me to wait over there. And I'm like, oh, this is interesting. And then the guy in the red polo comes over and he's not even sneaky about it. He's like, and snaps uh, both our photos. And so I'm like, huh, that's not good. You know, we're getting ready to head to the next event. I call our boss. I'm like, hey, I have a feeling something weird might happen at the next one. Just want to give, you know, keep you updated. And so, again, no one from the campaign said anything to us. There were no words exchanged, nothing like that. Just this weird little guy taking our photos. So we leave. We stop to get something to eat on the way to the next event. We show up. The bus is there. Uh, you know, folks are already there. We park and we start walking and I see deputies. And I'm like, OK, please, please don't tell me the deputies are here for us because there's multiple deputies. And as soon as we start walking up, uh, some guy from the campaign goes, yep, that's him over there or whatever. And the deputies approach us. And then everything you saw in the video happened. Yeah, we're registered. Uh, it doesn't matter. They said it's a private event. They don't want you. It is what it is. Can they, can they it's, a, what? it's a private event. I don't know. I'm sorry. So let's, let's go this way. And it goes down, you know, we I'm asking like, well, uh, yeah, we're here to cover the event. And they're like, oh, OK. <laughs> and I'm like, we're registered. I try to show my registration to the deputy. None of that matters. You know, we have a conversation. He tells me I can go get some ice cream. I ask him where the best ice cream place is in town. And he recommends Pizza Ranch and Dairy Queen. <laughs> uh, and so. <laughs> and so we stick around, uh, you know, we go to the sidewalk because the sidewalk is public. And so we're on the sidewalk, we're chilling. And then uh, Kyle, he's a little bit more adventurous than me. He gets a little closer to where the event is taking place out on the sidewalk. Like I kind of stay on the far sidewalk and I'm touching base with my boss. Like, okay, what do we do next? What's happening here? And I go to my car to get some water because it's a hot day. You know, it's August in in Iowa. And my coworker texts me. He's like, yo, they're looking for you. And I'm like, what? And yeah, they were looking for me when I disappeared in my car to get some water, which was right down the street because they thought I was, I mean, he thinks they think I was trying to sneak into the back, to sneak into the the building where the, where the event was taking place. And I'm like, that is wild. And so, yeah, I, I come back to like, you know, my little area of the sidewalk and I see deputies standing in the hills, kind of like between me and the building. And I'm like, this is just insane. And so yeah, from there, we ended up going to the uh, Harlem Public Library to write up a, for, for Kyle to pretty much write up a story, run it by our boss. Uh, and I worked on my Twitter thread. And yeah, then, you know, we hit the road, started heading toward the Iowa State Fair. Did you ever figure out or have you figured out in your head why exactly they didn't want you there? So the statement they gave to other media outlets, again, They've never said anything to me directly or my outlet or my my bosses or anything like that was that because we registered as audience members. Uh, They said it's weird. You say it's an open press event, but then you say we can't come in because we registered as audience members instead of media. But what difference would that make in terms of your head count? It would make no difference whatsoever because we're not TV. It's not like we got a big old camera and a bunch of equipment. We need to log in there. We got notepads, pens and phones. Um, And so that's the only thing I've heard about it. That's the only thing I've heard. And it was weird. They also say we didn't identify as press. And it's like, my, my guy, if I'm carrying, well, what regular person, you know, carries around a reporter's notepad and wears a giant lanyard that says press on it? Like, who else does that? Right. And so it was, yeah, it, it seems like a flimsy excuse to me. Uh, other than that, I got no other theory about it. Because again, I covered multiple DeSantis events before that. Like, 
uh, the Never Back Down pack that's supporting him even tweeted a picture of me covering one of their events uh, in July. Not in a negative way. No, no, it's a picture. It's a picture of DeSantis meeting with folks. And there you see me dead center of the photo in the background, taking a video of him interacting with people. Yesterday, the Iowa Association of Black Journalists issued a statement. You know, the Iowa Associated Black Journalists is incensed by our president, Ty Rushing's treatment from the Ron DeSantis campaign, et cetera, et cetera. Is there any part of you that thinks if you were a white journalist, this would have been differently? That's a good question. I mean, because my coworker who was with me was white, you know, so <laughs> it's, but it's, I, you know, I, it's something to consider. I mean, I haven't addressed the race issue directly myself just because like, you know, when black people talk about race, white people go, oh, you're playing the race card and all that kind of stuff. So like, I'm just going about it as a first amendment issue. You know, you're prohibiting the press from covering an event. And I mean, but the implications to I me mean, seem to say otherwise. I mean, you know, instead of like, cause you got private security already. So instead of having private security tell me, hey, I can't cover this event. You call in law enforcement uh, to, you know, act as armed guards for your event because you're afraid I'm going to take a picture or you're afraid I'm going to write a note or send a tweet. I mean, come on. that That's wild to me. And so, yeah, I mean, it, it's hard not to think about that because it was the same week that uh, DeSantis uh, suspended a Florida DA who was black because uh, he says, you know, he's not she wasn't comprehending or following his policies. And then you also had the whole slavery fiasco and then you've had all the you know changes with the AP African-American curriculum. So I'm not you know, it's it, some of these incidents kind of, you know, they all have a common factor. I always think it's interesting to take the opposite view. And I think what someone who would maybe be supporting DeSantis or supporting a citizen would say is, look, it's a private event. He's allowed to have private events. It's on private property. So he is allowed, you know, I, I can ban you from coming into my ice cream store if I want, if I find you annoying. So why is it so wrong that he wants to have an event where he doesn't have media and he just wants it to be his supporters and no outside people? What would you say to that argument? Well, here's the thing. I registered for the event. That's the kicker. If I hadn't registered and I was just showing up uh, and, you know, you said, no, we're we're at capacity, we're full. That's one thing. But like I was already registered for the event. You know, it's not like I'm hiding who I am. Like you have my phone number, you have my email address, you have my address. Like, you know, this isn't a secret event, you know. And like you said, I mean, they also said it's bill is an open press event. And so that's that's where you that's where you lose, man. You know, if you said it's a private event with like limited media. Uh, and you had the campaign explain this to me. All right. That's one thing. But when you, you know, have it on your calendar, your public release schedule, the never back down website, and it's, you can register to attend. And then you stop somebody who's a registered attendant from attending. Then, yeah, that's a different ball game. Well, you wrote a piece. Um, the Santos has law enforcement block Iowa journalists from event from the Iowa starting line. It ran on August 11th. Uh, your lead was Governor Ron DeSantis's campaign team today contact, contacted law enforcement in an attempt to prohibit Iowa starting line reporters from covering his campaign in the Hawkeye State, according to Shelby County Sheriff's de- deputies. Two reporters, including starting line's chief political correspondent, Ty Rushing, were greeted by multiple sheriff's de- de- deputies at the entrance of the American Legion in Harlan on Friday afternoon, where DeSantis was making a second campaign stop of the day. They said it's a private event. They don't want you. It is what it is. Deputy Bill McDaniel said, refusing to elaborate on why the campaign sought to block starting lines access to the event. I can't tell you why. I don't work for them. It's a private event, he said. It is what it is. And I'm not being critical, but I am interested. You bylined an article about- I didn't actually write the story. Kyle wrote the story, but our website is uh, like, our website is undergoing changes. So like I couldn't change it to someone else's byline. So Kyle works for our Michigan outlet. 
and he flew in to help us out with you know with state fair coverage so he actually wrote the story but it's under my byline because he doesn't have access to our website because he has access to the michigan website and so i had to put it into the system for him and we can't change his bylines right now so that's why my name is on it that's fair i was like why is this guy writing a byline story about him right right fair enough yeah i know um, I'm going to throw a big softball wide open question for you. And I'm fascinated by it. What is it like to cover the Iowa State Fair as a political event? <laughs> uh, let's put it this way. If you're a political junkie, the Iowa State Fair is your Super Bowl, especially during a caucus season, because I mean, I, I you know, it's so normal to me. But like uh, for my colleagues who were visiting us from out of state, so we had a, a, a colleague from Arizona and one from Michigan, they were just surprised at how open the access was to these people who were running to try to be the leader of the free world. I mean, you know, you got Ron DeSantis on bumper cars with his family. Uh, you got Vivek Ramaswamy uh, just rolling around the state fairgrounds. I mean, that guy was everywhere. Uh, you know, you got Mike Pence just like out there going to look at animals with his wife. And so... It's uh, it's it's kind of like I, I guess it's it's my norm, like in terms of covering it. But like it's surreal when you think about it that you have these people who are running for the highest office in the land, making themselves incredibly available and putting themselves out there to kind of just you know show, hey, look, I'm a regular person, I do regular things. And so you know you see them grilling pork chops, you see them on the sky glide, you see them eating corn dog. Well, you see some eating corn dogs. Uh, that's one of those foods that uh, a lot of candidates try to avoid eating for uh, pretty obvious reasons there, but. You know, you, you see them doing their best to just kind of like showcase their uh, normalness. Wait, I want to interpret what you just said. Do people avoid eating corn dogs because it looks like they're sucking a dick? <laughs> Listen, I didn't say it, but yeah, pretty much. You, you said it. Uh, and I, I was so wild is like, I OK, I, I, I definitely try to like make sure I think of things like that. But uh, last year we had a uh, a woman, uh, Deidre DeGere, who was running for governor of Iowa. And she did, a, I do a thing called Thai Tries, where I try weird state fair foods. And she and I either did the alligator corn dog or the snake corn dog. And so one of the comments was like, oh no, Ty, why do you have a lady eating a corn dog? And I was like, oh. I didn't think about it till later. And Deidre is so smart and on her feet. What she did was she got the corn dog and then she broke a piece of it off and then it tried it that way. And I was like, ah, but yeah. Like bananas on a stick and other, you know, phallic items. Yeah, not the best. You as a reporter covering it, like, are you are you on a very tight schedule? Or are you literally bouncing around the fair looking for this, looking for that? Like, how do you rec- how do you cover it? All right. So that's why we brought in extra help. I mean, to help out with the state fair, just because Saturday I I told I was telling everyone in the press room, like, you know, on my team or not. Like, I was like, honestly, Saturday is kind of our Super Bowl. You got DeSantis there. You got Trump there. You got Nikki Haley there. You got Ramaswamy there. You got uh, RFK Jr. there. You got Marianne Williamson there. uh, Ryan Binkley there. And, you know, I mean, you know, you got obviously you got the lesser knowns who are not going to get as much attention. But the fact that they're all there on the same day and then you got the two front runners in the GOP primary showing up, you know. It, it was an insane day. And so uh, God bless the Des Moines Register. They actually have a candidate tracker. So, you know, where a lot of these folks are going to be at. And I have my calendar synced with a lot of the candidates who I'm primarily following. Uh, and so it was just kind of like, OK, 1030, this person is going to be here. 1130, this person is going to be here. Hey, we heard such and such is by the pork producers tent, you know. So like we're just like we had a group chat going on and we're like scrambling to get bodies at different areas to like cover these various events and like various spots where they're at. So that's how you got somebody who's already getting them in the bumper cars while you got two other people waiting in line to see Trump, uh, who's going to be at Stein at 1 p.m. And we're in line at 1150. 
because the line was that long. I actually did want to ask you about this. I'm a liberal Jewish guy in California. You're a black man from Kansas City sitting in Iowa. I saw a video yesterday of Trump who appeared at the fair fairly briefly, and he's signing a hat for someone, and the woman is sobbing, like sobbing, like she's met a beetle. And it's funny because I wrote a book about the old United States Football League, which Trump owned a team and ruined. And he it was one con after another con after another con. And when I was working on that book, it was in 2016. And I kept thinking and saying to people, this guy's a con man. This guy's a con man. How do you not see this guy's a con man? And clearly people don't see what I see. And I wonder, you sitting there in Iowa, super white, conservative, and this guy comes along. And no matter what he does wrong, he barely appears at the state. He's not eating state food. He's dogging your governor, who's actually a popular governor. Why is this working? Because Trump is Trump is bigger than the Republican Party. Like, you know, he Trump voters are Trump voters. They are not, you know, okay. Like, you know, you have obviously you have uh, you know, typical Republican voters who like, okay, I want the best candidate. I want the I want the person who I think is gonna best represent the values that I have and who's gonna win, who can defeat, you know, Biden or any other Democrat who's gonna take it in 2024. But Trump voters are a different breed. And so what I like to do, like I want to I covered Trump's event in Council Bluffs, Iowa. And one of the things I did is like I was trying to find not tr- people who were coming to the event in non-Trump gear. And they they are there's so many people wearing Trump gear at these events. So when I see somebody who's not wearing Trump gear, I'm like, OK, let me talk to them to see if they are maybe like an undecided voter or if they're just coming out for a curiosity aspect, you know, to see what they think and who are they thinking about supporting for the caucus. And most of them are actually Trump supporters as well. They just don't have the gear on like everyone else. And then like um, it's it's bigger. Like I said, it's bigger than the party. I mean, his rallies are like unlike any other political rally I've been to. Uh, it's 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 almost like a church for some of these folks. I mean, I don't know. Like, I mean, you said you're from the Jewish faith. So like in, uh, in the Christian church, there's a lot of things where you kind of like, you know, put your hand sure. with the person like who's at the sermon. And people were doing that at the Trump rally. Like people were doing that for him. Like, you know, putting it like giving their spirit force to him. And he kind of like he plays into it as well because he tells them like I've seen him do this. He tells them like you see and it works for his all the stuff that happens with him legally works to its advantage because he says you see everything they're trying to do to stop me. They're doing that to stop. They're going after me because I'm protecting you. I'm the only thing standing between you and uh, you and them going after you. Like, it's me. I'm the protector. And so many people were like, yes, he's the one protecting us. He's the one keeping us safe. He is our shield from them, whoever them is, going after us. And they 100% believe this. Like, I had a Trump supporter who wears a um, a version of the Captain America costume and goes to every one of his rallies tell me this, like, uh, a few months back. And then, like, when I went there and saw him just kind of, like, how he interacted with his folks and saw a lot of them agreeing with this and saying the same sentiment, it was like, oh, yeah, yeah, they 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 fully believe this. Like, this is 100% the, <laughs> the, the, the line they buy into. When you're at the, uh, when you're at the Trump rally, do you ever feel like you're the guy in Get Out and you're just like, I, <laughs> I, need, I need to get out of here very quickly? <laughs> you know, uh, I, I'm a very friendly person, so... Honestly, to the DeSantis uh, situation, I haven't had much trouble at any of these events. Like, don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm a black man going to a lot of spaces in real life. So, like, I keep my head on a swivel. But, uh, you know, a lot of times people are pretty chill, pretty cool about it. Like, I actually enjoy talking to the uh, talking to people at the events more, just kind of like figure out what's going on inside their head, what they're thinking, what are the, you know, the values and policies they're looking for into a candidate. Because, like, honestly, I find that a lot more fascinating than hearing the same stump speech I've heard 
however many times, depending on the candidate. And so that actually is a little bit more interesting to me. But it is. Yeah, it's. It, it, it's it's fascinating to hear from some because some, you know, have like, well, I think the economy was better under Trump. And then there's others who like, you know, Trump is going to save us and he's the protector of the free world. And the Bible sent Trump here or God sent Trump here to protect us. So like you get that wide range uh, of like kind of responses when you go to these events. And when you go to other candidates events to talk to people, you don't get anything like, you know, the cult like atmosphere around their candidate. It's crazy. It's actually uh, this is the Trump podcast, but. There's literally an interview where he cannot name a Bible verse, like where he cannot name a Bible verse and he's been anointed the second coming. It's, it's a little jarring to me. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah. 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 Um, Wait, so there's a, uh, there's an article that was written back in 2020. Uh, The headline is Jackie Robinson of Iowa newspapers, meet Ty rushing a black journalist in rural Iowa. And um, you wrote a piece uh, where you, you wrote to this, to the date, I've been the first black staff writer at the Newton Daily News, Jasper County Times, Prairie City News, the Sheldon Mail Sun, the South O'Brien Sun, the Northwest Iowa Review, and the Sioux City Journal. The first black staff writer. And you are a black man writing, covering politics in the state of Iowa. And extraordinarily, I've been there, white state. A lot of people in your shoes, a lot of my friends in, in your shoes who have been lone black media voices in very white areas are super excited when there's an exit. When I can go work in LA, I can go work in New York, I can work in Houston, I can work in Atlanta. You seem to really revel working in this environment in Iowa, covering politics in this very white world. <laughs> Why? Well, I I didn't do politics full time until about two years ago when I when I joined the starting line. But most of my time has been in community and it was community journalism. And honestly, it's just been about opportunity. So before our governor recently changed our slogan, Iowa slogan used to be fields of opportunities. And I joked that that was like, you know, very accurate for me because I got my first journalism job here in Iowa and then I got my second job here. And then jobs just kept coming. Like I just kept getting new opportunities. Like I swear to God, anytime I got like an out of state offer uh, to leave, like I would somehow get a better offer from somewhere in Iowa to keep me here. And it's, it's just worked out that way. I mean, my initial plan was to come to come to Iowa, get some experience to try to get back to Kansas City as soon as possible. That was like my goal. And, you know, once you actually get into an environment and start working there, things change. I mean, like I said, I just keep getting jobs like, you know, every job I've had, I've gotten a pay boost or a title, in, you know, pay boost and or a title increase. So it, it's just worked out that way. I mean, now here we are 10 years later. Do you feel like People are able, when you are covering people in these sort of rural, largely conservative areas, your race does not impact the way they are covered, meaning they're open to talking to you. They are open to trust. Does it impact anything? Or do you feel like ultimately people are people and they are able to look past that because someone is here and he's interested in me? I try to treat people as people and I expect the same treatment in return. And so, I mean, I've been in like some of the most conservative rural parts of the state working and I've had great relationships with the communities that I cover just because like I built that trust. Like I show them that I'm willing to do the work and I want to cover our community and highlight everything that's going on there. The good, the bad, the ugly. I mean, when I lived in Sheldon, which is where I spent a good chunk of my career over two terms, uh, you know, you see, you would see me walking downtown, walking Main Street, walking, walk, you know, stopping in, top, talking to the shop owners, going to the local coffee shops and just, you know, talking to folks, asking what's going on. You know, you see me walking to city council meetings. You see me on the street taking photos. You see me at the kids sporting events. You see me at the school. Like, 
I was a presence in the community. Like, you know, I helped found the uh, Sheldon Young Professionals Organization because like, I thought that was something that we were liking in the community. Uh, I always do public speaking events. You know, I speak at Kiwanis. I speak at Rotary. Like I ingrained, like wherever I'm at, I ingrained myself into the community. Like I become a part of it. Like, obviously it's different, but like, you know what? If you go, I, honestly, I find if you approach things with a very open mind and just go along for the experience, like things, positive things can happen. I mean, you know, obviously you're going to get some stuff like where, you know, they're like, oh, I don't know about that fella, but, you know, a lot of times uh, if you just give folks a chance, like things will work out for you. If you're interviewing someone and they're like, I mean, you know, these colored people or someone drops the N word or something like that. Funny enough, that's happened, of course. Um, And I actually talked about this. I did a piece uh, also in I think in 2019 or 2020 where I talked to other black journalists uh, and we just kind of like recollected on our experiences. And it's like, okay, so, you know, when stuff stuff like that happens, it's like, all right, do I stop the interview and derail the entire story? Just be like, hey, you probably shouldn't say that or do that. Or do you just kind of like you just kind of got to roll with it and. Uh, most of the time we just have to roll with it. You just have to be like, all right, okay. I don't know why you need to say the N word right there, but anyway, let's keep talking about your trucking business. But that's actually interesting. If someone does, you are interviewing someone about their trucking business and they do drop the N word and you're there to do a story. But at the other, on the other hand, you are a human being with, I literally see a black lives matter bracelet around your arm. I don't know. Journalistically, can you be like, hey, man, I really don't appreciate that. I'm going to interview you, but I don't appreciate that. Or do you just kind of roll and let it pass? You just got to. I mean, I, honestly, you, I, you, I'll just roll with it for a lot of times because like, all right, it's uh, I think so, I, I mean, I'm trying, I hope I can articulate this right. But someone said if black people address race and racism as much as white people seem to think we do, it's all we will talk about. And so it's just like. <laughs> It just comes kind of with the territory of being black in America. Like, you know, it's always going to be something that's always going to be an issue. And if we address every single instance, like, I mean, you look, 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 all right, look at all, look at the, everything that's happened since 2020. We had one summer of actually talking about having productive conversations about race in this country. And now they're changing laws to blame, you know, blame, uh, ban black history in places. So, you know, that just tells you something. You just, sometimes you just got to roll with it. Like, you're like, okay, well, I'll just keep that in mind. I do want to say you wrote a great, great piece for uh, NorthwestIowa.com. This is back in 2020. The publisher, Peter Wagner, wrote a, almost an open letter to you. Yes, yes. It was a polite letter, but it was basically from a conservative white man's standpoint. I don't really understand, in a way, what the big deal is about some of this stuff. And I don't really fully get why Blacks are making a big deal of this. And that. He wrote it in a way where you could tell he's a likable guy. And yeah. the guy actually hadn't was trying to understand. And you wrote a response to him. If it's not the best thing you've written, it's got to be in your top five because it was freaking fantastic. And you wrote, I'm 33 and don't know how many times I've been pulled over. I bet you your sake and I are in information. It's been far more times in 15 years of driving than you've experienced in your 60 plus years of operating a motor vehicle. Moving from a larger metro to smaller communities has enabled me to experience a different type of policing. One in which officers actually know the people they're there to serve and protect and people know them and not just for negative reasons. And you write about sort of your experiences as a black man in Iowa. It just sounds really eye-opening and really important. And I, I hope that the response you got to that was positive because it should have been. Yeah, no, it was uh, primarily positive. And like, man, shout out to Peter. Uh, so Peter Wagner, yeah, he's the publisher, uh, founder of the company, Iowa Information. And he and I have just, we have a wonderful relationship. And it was actually his idea to do the open letters. And the thing I like about Peter is that he asks questions in his letter that, you know, other white conservative people 
are wondering about, but they just they don't either know a black person to ask or they don't have the courage to ask. And so it kind of he kind of took one for the uh, team there. You know, but yeah, again, Peter's very conservative, uh, but he he's like the Wagner family. They're very open minded as well. And so I remember when I did my first interview there, it was kind of it was a when I, the, my first tenure there. So I did an interview. I got there a little early. I went to the public library. I'm nervous as hell because, like, I really want this job. I know it's a good paper, has a good reputation. It's locally owned. And I go to the library to kill time because I got about an hour to my interview. And I see some gentlemen, you know, sitting in the corner reading newspapers like, all right, let me go sit down with them. And I'm chilling, uh, you know, read some newspapers, too. And then finally I ask. So does anyone, anyone know where I can get a good cup of coffee in town? No one answered me. Uh, in fact, several of them got up and left. <laughs> so I was like, that's not a good sign. Um, and so I go in for the interview. The interview was wonderful. Uh, you know, they tell me like, hey, it's a super, super conservative area. But like, I know the paper is going to be great. I know the leadership is strong. And we end up going upstairs uh, to meet. And Peter was there. And Peter's like, he, his face lit up when he saw him. He's like, you know, I've been saying we need to get some diversity around these parts for a long time. So, like, I really hope we make you an offer. Like, so after having that previous experience in the library and then having Peter Wagner, the guy who owns the paper, tell you that, it's very reassuring. You're like, okay, at least, I mean, maybe if I have some troubles in the community, at least I know these folks will have my back. And that's very, very important, you know, being a black man moving to, like, a very conservative, very rural area to at least know you guys are going to have some people who are going to look out for you. Yeah. And so I was like so reassuring. And so like Peter and I have always had a wonderful relationship. Before we continue with Two Riders Slinging Yang, a quick word from our sponsor. Hey, this is Casey Perlman, and I'm here with Anna Norris, my co-host on the hit KSDT radio show. We're, We're so crazy. crazy. So with the screen actors on strike, I landed us this pretty sweet gig doing an ad for my dad's podcast. What the fuck's a podcast? This thing old people watch. Well, what's the ad for? Royalretros.com. It's a throwback sports merchandise company that makes pretty sweet t-shirts, hats, and jerseys of old sports leagues. Do we get paid? In t-shirts. But he also says if we do a good job, we might advance to hats and jerseys. And then what? And then you wear a hat. Hard pass. I'm going back to my side hustle slinking rocks on the streets of La Jolla. I just want to say you're, uh, you started at the Newton Daily News, a newspaper I've never heard of. And January 17th, 2013... You wrote an intro column called Hi, comma, I'm Ty. And you wrote, well, hello, Newton. I'm Ty Rushing, a newcomer here to the Daily News, and I will be covering a variety of topics and doing my best to integrate myself within this amazing, friendly, and resilient community. Besides the nice people, one of the things that let me know immediately that I was going to like living in Newton was the presence of Dollar Tree. I love Dollar Tree more than kids love Santa Claus. A bit of background on me. I'm from Kansas City, Kansas, and I'm a diehard Chiefs and Jayhawks fan. I recently graduated from the University of Missouri, Kansas City, and if you couldn't tell by my gushing over Dollar Tree, I am a very cheap person. I also have no shame in saying I am cheap. In fact, I embrace the term, and it's a it's a beautiful thing. And I, I do wonder, like, all around us, you hear doom and gloom about journalism. Journalism is screwed. Journalism is falling apart. People can't get jobs, blah, 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 blah. And you do seem to be this guy who really relishes and loves being a journalist. And you seem like you actually wear it. Like you really do. You Even the whole thing with DeSantis, everything you posted about it, it never came off as like, fuck this bullshit. It came off more like, I can't believe this shit is happening. And now I'm going to tell you about it. Do you still have the love for journalism? Do you still pe- feel like people should go in this profession? Absolutely, man. I still love it. And I, I jokingly tell kids that I'm dumb for sticking around. Because <laughs> like I said, I do a lot of talking. I speak to a lot of young journalists, but like, I, I tell people all the time, man, you will never have more fun being broke than being a journalist. 
some of the opportunities you get, I mean, some of the experiences you get, uh, good or bad, are very unique to the situation. I mean, you know, I've, I've gone to a church service inside of a maximum security uh, penitentiary because of uh, a story I was working on. You know, I've toured a I toured a factory that makes the cookies that go on ice cream sandwiches. Uh, I've toured a frozen burrito factory. You know, I had to go play Pokemon Go for a story one time. Like I and, and, and the wildest part about that is like I didn't pitch it. My bosses brought the idea to me. And I'm like, oh, OK, I guess I can go play Pokemon Go and write about it if you guys insist. And so, like, you get these wonderful, super cool opportunities, especially if you start at a uh, smaller level and more localized level, because when you're at the local paper, you do everything. And that gives you a chance to kind of find out what do I like doing? What don't I like doing? And those opportunities are amazing. I mean, because, you know, sometimes folks find out like, hey, you know, you think you might want to be a sports writer, which is what I did in college. And then you go cover a school board meeting or a city council meeting or county supervisors meeting. You realize I kind of like this, too. Uh, And so that's that's what happened to me. Like, I wanted to be a sports writer so bad. I wanted to cover the Chiefs and Royals. And now I ended up being like a local government junkie. Things like that happen. I mean, it's such a fun career path. I mean, you know, there's a few lanes where you can get lucky to get financially stable while working in it. And if you get into one of those lanes, you are very fortunate. You should be grateful for it. But it is so much fun. I mean, it's stressful as hell. You're going to be tired. You're not going to have a regular schedule. Uh, You know, your social life is going to be topsy turvy. But I'll be damned if you don't enjoy it. I will tell you, Ty, when I was at Sports Illustrated way back when a writer named Jack McCallum said to me, you're never going to be the richest person doing this job, but you will always have the best stories at your high school reunion. It's so true. Like when I say like, it's so wild that I was at a church sermon singing Jesus songs with convicted murderers, but uh, it happened for a story. Yeah. Uh, you know, like you get those kind of like just random experiences. Like I remember uh, my, my my bestie down in Kansas City, Tisa, I was at her baby shower. Right. And one of the baby shower games was had who has the most B names in their phones. And I won. And I had over 300 B names in my phone just because you meet all these different people from all different kinds of walks of life and you save their contact information. And they thought I was lying, you know, when I said I had all these B names in my phone and I I showed them like, look, and these are just because, you know, especially covering politics, because uh, like even when you're not a political reporter, when Iowa caucuses come to your town, you're a political reporter that day. And so you meet all these various campaign staffers, you meet all these various people and you save numbers, you exchange them and you just kind of build your database of sources like that you collect over the years. And I'm the kind of person I don't I don't delete contacts like because I never know when I'm going to need to contact you again and vice versa. And so, like, it's kind of been it's been pretty cool having some of these full circle moments where, like, folks I first connected with when I moved to Iowa a decade ago have, you know, I've been able to use them again as a source because, like, now I work for a statewide outlet. And so that, that's been pretty nice. So the Kansas City Star calls tomorrow and they're like, Ty, we love your work. We have a Royals beat job opening, blah, 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 blah. Do you take it? Oof. Oh, put me on the spot. Put me on the spot. I don't, man, I don't know at this point. Like, I mean, the timing, the timing has to be great because my fiance, uh, she's got her full time gig here now and she loves it. She's um, she works at Grinnell College, uh, which is kind of like the Harvard of the Plains. Yeah. And it's a great college. She has a great job and she's building a Latino cultural center there. And that's going to be a years long project. So, like, I don't want to uproot her. And everything that she's got going on and be like, hey, baby, let's go down to Kansas City. Like, I know I worked my butt off to convince you to move to Iowa, but uh, now I need you to move to Kansas City and give up on your dream job. Wait, I want to ask you a couple more things real quick. Yeah. During the state fair, the governor of Iowa, Kim Reynolds, 
a, a very popular governor in the state of Iowa was speaking at Republicans. Let's, let's sure. clarify. Yeah. Was speaking at a uh, DeSantis. She had the, the fireside chat with DeSantis. No, no, no. It's a fair side chat. Fair enough. And um, people start booing and chanting and the whole thing. And she said, she basically made the plea to remember that we are a friendly state. We are a kind state. That's our reputation. And I wonder, because you're on the ground in Iowa, and it feels from like sitting here in my little safe liberal enclave of Southern California, that Trump, if you want to say that, has really unleashed a meanness, that there's become a meanness in the in this country that did not exist before, that, that has been unleashed and is out there. And I feel like that moment in Iowa actually really hurt me um, because I thought, geez, even there. And I wonder, am I overstating that? Do you feel like state of Iowa, the people there? Uh, no? no, I've written about that. I mean, I, I've written about the like, you know, kind of having my facade shattered about Iowa nice. And I wrote that, uh, I believe, in response to the 2021 Iowa legislative session. I did that for I did that as a piece for Iowa Public Radio. And it was just kind of like, you know, just seeing how the state has changed in the 10 years that I've been here has been eye opening. And it kind of made me wonder, OK, has the state changed or have these feelings already always been there? And just just they're just now feeling like more open and free to express them. What's the answer? I think, yeah, I mean, like that Trump definitely changed something in a lot of people because folks uh, definitely feel more free and open to just like express hatred and bigotry and then be like, oh, oh, I can't say that. Oh, wow. Cancel culture, you know, and just like, I mean, you look at these campaigns. I mean, so many of them are running on the premise of destroying wokeness, but they can't define what woke is. I mean, woke has just become anything that they don't like. Do you think Trump winds up president again? Uh, honestly, I think Biden beats Trump head to head. But I think DeSantis could beat Biden. Problem is, DeSantis has got to get past Trump. And if you saw those fair, those crowds at the uh, Iowa State Fair, and if you see the polling numbers, it ain't looking good. Am I wrong from afar that DeSantis played that fair very poorly? Like he didn't read what he was walking into very well? No. Okay, so here's the thing. DeSantis announced his fair appearance first. He was already said to be there. No one. Most people did not expect Trump to attend Iowa State Fair. He's only uh, he attended in 2015 uh, and he gave kids helicopter rides. Uh, but and, there was, <laughs> and so uh, this, Trump announced he was coming. So DeSantis was already set in stone. Like if he backed out, but, you know, because Trump announced he's coming the same day as him, he couldn't win. And so I think he actually did. I actually think he, his strategy uh, went well. You know, he appeared on stage with Governor Kim Reynolds and those two have a really good relationship. And, you know, uh, Governor Reynolds is like very charismatic. Uh, she's a people person and she kind of brings out the humanity in him. And then he came with his entire family and they did all the typical stuff. And so I don't think he played it wrong. It's just like the problem is, is like, you know, if you have a good appearance and you do everything right. But then a mega nova of Trump comes in. There's nothing you can do about that. It's like if your high school band opens up a, a, a show and then Beyonce shows up, like nobody's going to pay attention to the high school. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's pretty much that's a great analogy. Yes. It's like he, he did everything he was supposed to do at the fair, except for the register soapbox. But he did everything else he was supposed to do. And then doesn't matter. He just can't show up in the door. Yeah. Um, let me ask you a final question. I asked this for everyone. Most of my guests are sports writers. What is the best confrontation you've had in your career as a journalist? The most heated Someone has been at you, the most angry someone's been at you. What's your moment? Oh, man, I got so many. There was this uh, super conservative guy who hated me. I never met him. 
And he wrote a letter to the editor that he thought my bosses are going to publish where he called me a black agitator who was educated, who was educated in the public school system in Kansas City. And then he followed up like to clarify his letter that he was talking about me. And it's like, oh, really? There, there was no one else you were talking about in that letter. OK. Uh, and so my editor, he, he looks at it. He's like, huh, the black agitator. That could be your superhero name. And it was like, oh, you're on to something there. And so that same guy also burned one of our newspapers in front of the newspaper office because uh, we ran a pride event on the front page. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess that I guess like when he burns the newspaper, that's pretty heated. Throwing this out there. Would you take me on as your Robin as the Jewish agitator? Oh, let's go. Let's Let's go. Let's do it. Let's go. I'm all. Yes, absolutely. I mean, oh my God, we need, yeah, we need, we need, we need to get, we need to get that bond unified again and solidified again. Like it is, yeah, we need that. I'm going to have my people call your people. We'll talk. We're sitting down, Jewish agitator. Ty, I just want to say, first of all, thank you for doing this on last minute. Second of all, sincerely from 1500 miles away, much respect for the way you handled it. There are many people in your shoes who would have lost their shit. I would have lost my shit. I would have been cursing at someone. What the fuck? You handled it so coolly, so calmly, so maturely like a true professional, the number one reason I want to have you on is just the admiration in that moment that I saw for you. And um, just much respect, man. And please keep doing what you're doing because this country needs it. Thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, thanks for having me on. I had a good time. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm game to come back. I mean, we got more stuff to talk about. I want to thank today's guest, Ty Rushing, for joining me on Two Writers Singing Yang. You can follow Ty on Twitter at Rush the Writer and read his work at IOR Starting Line. If you have a chance and enjoy Two Riders Singing Yang, please go to the vehicle of your choice and leave a nice review. I'd be really appreciative. Music is by the great MC White Owl. Thanks again for joining me. And remember, keep riding. Pop it till it locks.